So, uh, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to the next talk in the series of serious uh, seminar series this semester. So, today we have somebody local over here. Uh, we have Ashish Ota from Electrical and Computer Engineering Department. Which he's doing his, his PhD over there uh, with Shreya Sundar. And Ashish is generally interested in uh, game theory, decision theory, and slightly different topics, maybe in terms of network security, but somehow he combines two, uh, some, two of these slightly uh, I mean, looking uh, two topics which look quite different, but somehow he combines them in his uh, security research. And today he's going to talk about that. So your talk on behavioral and computational aspect of network security. Ashish. Uh, thank you so much, Professor Gatte, and uh, thanks for uh, letting me uh, speak in this seminar series. Uh, so most of this work is uh, done jointly with my advisor, Professor Shreya Sundaram, uh, as well as Professor Saurabh Bakchi and uh, Abe Clements. Uh, so, you know, in, in large-scale network systems, there are such as the, the electric grid, uh, there are a large number of uh, assets, control systems, sensors, uh, communication networks, and the security of these systems depends on uh, the decisions made by multiple stakeholders. Game theory is a natural framework uh, to understand uh, the decision-making by these multiple entities. Uh, so we will start our discussion with a brief introduction to game theory and certain behavioral aspects of decision making. And uh, then we will look at two related classes of games. Uh, first, which we refer to as interdependent security games, uh, represent situations where uh, we consider a general network or graph. And uh, each node in the network uh, decides how much to invest uh, to protect itself. And the security risk experienced by the node uh, is a function of the investment by the node and its local neighbors. Uh, our focus here will be to understand uh, how certain behavioral perception of security risk or attack probabilities influence the decision of these nodes. Uh, in the second part, we will look at a, a more general class of games uh, where uh, a defender uh, potentially cares about protecting multiple nodes in the network and uh, the attack pr attacks propagate throughout the network instead of just being local in the previous case. Uh, so let's start with a brief introduction to game theory. So game theory represents uh, situations where uh, we want to understand how multiple agents make decisions. Uh, so let's consider a general setting uh, with n agents. Uh, these are also referred to as players in the game theory literature. And each player uh, chooses a strategy to maximize its utility. Okay? Uh, so let's say that we, we represent the strategy of a player i as little xi and let it be drawn from a set uh, big Xi, and the utility of player I is uh, given by a function UI, which depends on its strategy Xi as well as the strategies of other entities. Okay? Uh, so for example, let's say that I have a computer, I am trying to decide whether or not to, to purchase an antivirus, and let's say that I communicate uh, with your computer, and you have certain access to certain files in my system. So if I protect or if I buy an antivirus and you don't, then a virus can infect your system and in, in turn infect my system. So my utility, uh, defined in terms of whether or not I get, get infected by a virus, depends not only on whether I purchase antivirus, but also whether you are purchasing antivirus. So that introduces a game. That is, the my utility is a function of my action as well as your actions. Okay. So how do we uh, sort of uh, reason about this type of uh, multi-agent settings? Uh, so the idea is that, uh, so the, the, this leads to the notion of uh, Nash equilibrium. So Nash equilibrium is a strategy profile. Uh, let's say that player one chooses X1, X1 star, player two chooses X2 star, and so on. 
And uh, this profile constitutes a Nash equilibrium if uh, for a given player i and for any other strategy yi within its set of feasible strategies, the utility of the player uh, evaluated at yi uh, is less than or equal to the utility of the player if it has chosen xi star, given that all other entities choose uh, their Nash equilibrium strategies. Right? So in other words, if every other player uh, decides to act according to their Nash equilibrium, then a given player high i uh, cannot improve its utility by choosing any other action other than its Nash equilibrium action. So that's why uh, if every player is at the Nash equilibrium, no player has any incentive to unilaterally pick a different strategy. So that's why it's referred to as an equilibrium. Okay? Uh, so clearly, a strategy profile, whether or not it ends up being a Nash equilibrium, depends very critically on how these utilities are defined, right? So, uh, so this leads us to to this to the realm of uh, decision theory, which which tells us uh, how you know how to define utilities, and in particular how the utilities are defined in the in the presence of risk. That is when the outcomes are not not certain. And this often ends up being the case in cybersecurity domain. So, you know, I can choose whether or not to buy uh, antivirus or, you know, invest to secure my system, but it's not certain whether I will be getting attacked or not. So that is subject to probabilities. Okay. Uh, so what what classical models in decision theory say that uh, let's say uh, I am facing an uncertain situation where there can be different outcomes, each occurring with different probabilities. Okay. So let's say that outcome G1 happens with probability P1, G2 with probability P2, and so on. And uh, uh, so this, this theory of expected utility theory says that uh, there exists a utility function V, uh, and I should uh, assign the utility to this uncertain outcome in the following way, that I should evaluate uh, the utility as, you know, the, in terms of the function V of each different possible outcome and multiply with the corresponding probability of that outcome. And I define my utility uh, according to this function. Okay. And uh, you know, when I, if I am facing multi multiple uncertain outcomes and I want to pick one of them, uh, I should evaluate the expected utility of each uncertain outcome and pick the one which has the highest expected utility. Okay. Uh, however, you know, the, the, the human decision makers often uh, do not exactly follow the, the predictions of expected utility theory. And in fact, uh, the, the way human beings perceive the utilities and probabilities uh, can be very different from their true values. Uh, so we will focus on uh, the misperception of probabilities uh, in this talk. And in fact, uh, you know, this is extremely relevant in the security domain because we are always facing risk. You know, the risk uh, of whether I am get going to get infected by a virus uh, is often defined in terms of probabilities, right? So it's important to understand how we perceive these probabilities. And uh, we will capture these uh, perception of probabilities uh, drawn from a very well-known theory of behavioral decision-making, uh, which is known as prospect theory. And it was proposed by uh, Kahneman and Tversky in 1979. And in fact, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize in Economics for his uh, contributions to, to behavioral economics. So. So just to, just to illustrate how we don't perceive the prob probabilities as their true values, uh, let's consider a very simple example. Uh, let's say that uh, I ask you to choose between one of these two options. In option one, you can win uh, $3,000 with probability 0.25. In option two, you can win $4,000 with probability 0.2. Uh, 
you know, if, if this is asked, you know, this ex example is drawn from the, the original prospect theory paper and where they conduct experiments on human subjects in many different uh, lab conditions. And what they find is that uh, in the majority of the cases, participants prefer option two, right? Uh, and in this case, the option two also turns out to have the highest expected value. You know, this, the option two has $800 and, and option one has $750, okay? Now, if I, if I change the example a little bit, uh, now in option one, you can win $3,000 with probability one, so there's none, no uncertainty associated there. And in option two, you can win $4,000 with probability 0.8. And if I ask this question in lab, uh, in a majority of the cases, it has been found that people choose uh, option one, right? They don't want any risk while you know, involving the, 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 their, their reward. And if you notice, uh, the probabilities in the second case are four times the corresponding probabilities in the first case. So if people actually you know, treated probabilities as their true values and computed the expected utilities, which are uh, linear functions of the probabilities, uh, this type of inconsistency will not arise. Right? Uh, so in order to understand this, uh, you know, th there have been a large body of work in uh, behavioral economics to, to identify how we actually do perceive probabilities. And uh, what has been found is that uh, we consistently uh, overweight small probabilities and underweight large probabilities. So, uh, so the perception of probabilities are often captured in terms of uh, weighting functions. Uh, one example is the is the Prelake weighting function, which has which is shown in the uh, in the in the graph. Uh, so, it's a, it's a parametric form of weighting functions, and the parameter beta controls uh, the degree of overweighting of small probabilities and underweighting of large probabilities. Uh, if beta equal to one, then we perceive probabilities exactly as their true values, and if beta gets smaller, our deviation from the true, uh, uh, sort of our deviation in perceived probabilities from the true value uh, increases more and more, okay? Uh, so now, uh, let's go to the, the first class of games that we're going to look at, and here we will uh, try to understand the impact of the behavioral perception of probabilities that I just discussed on the security investment strategies of the uh, of the agents. Okay. Uh, any questions so far? Okay. Uh, so, so the class of games we will look at are, are referred to as interdependent security games. So, it's a very general class of uh, mathematical formulation. Uh, <coughs> okay. So, you know the the the, the, in the gen most general case, it's, uh, the game is defined on a general graph or a network, uh, which is a collection of nodes and edges. And let's say that there are n nodes in this graph. Uh, each node decides you know, how much to invest in security, and uh, the attack probability on the node is a function of the node's investment and the, it, of its direct neighbors. Uh, there has been a large body of work in this class of games uh, studying the properties of the equilibrium and so on. Uh, but most have so far uh, focused on uh, assuming that the nodes are risk neutral and, and don't consider the, the behavioral perception of probabilities and values. Okay. Uh, so to, to, to make the setting more precise, uh, so we are going to denote the security investment of a node or a player i as the quantity si. And we, m without loss of generality, we assume that si is a real number between 0 and 1. Okay. And the, the probability of successful attack on a node is a function of SI and, uh, and S minus I, where S minus Y represents the, the vector of security investments by its neighbors. Okay? 
and if a player is risk, uh, you know and if the if the player is successfully attacked uh, it experiences a loss of magnitude li and there is a per unit cost of security investment which is ci so if the player is risk neutral we can write out its uh, expected utility as follows uh, which is minus li times the the probability that it gets attacked and uh, you know zero which is the loss if it doesn't get attacked so that term is missing and then uh, the cost of uh, investing in security okay. uh, so here we will focus on a special choice of uh, attack probability function fi uh, which is defined as uh, one minus the average security investment by a node and its direct neighbors okay. so in this example graph uh, the attack probability exper experienced by node 5 is 1 minus S5, uh, which is its own investment, and then plus S3 plus S4, which are the investments of its direct, of its direct neighbors, divided by 3, which is to, 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 to take the average. Uh, and uh, so with, before going into understanding how uh, behavioral perception of these probabilities influence uh, investment decisions, let's look at the case uh, where the players are risk neutral and understand uh, their optimal investments. So for this, in this particular game, uh, so we can we can write out the expected utility uh, for a risk neutral player uh, as we defined before, and then if we take the derivative of this utility as the, uh, uh, with respect to the investment of a player, then uh, note that uh, this marginal utility doesn't depend on the strategies of the neighbors. In fact, it's only a function of the degree of the node and the and the loss parameters. Okay. So therefore, the, the optimal strategy of a node is going to be to invest one, that is to completely protect itself, if uh, di ci over li is less than one, or to, don't, or to not invest anything, uh, if di ci over li is strictly bigger than one, okay? Uh, that is the, the outside of the special case uh, of di ci over li equal to one, the node either completely protect itself or doesn't invest anything. Uh, so we are going to focus on the question of what happens if the node doesn't perceive the probabilities as the true probabilities and uh, uh, exhibit the behavioral characteristics we discussed before. Uh, so in particular, we will try to understand, uh, does there exist a pure Nash equilibrium in this class of games? Uh, how does the investments and, the, and, the, and the, the equilibrium security risks depend on the uh, properties of the weighting function? And how do these quantities depend on the structure of the network? Right. Uh, so as, as as we discussed before, we are going to focus on the class of weighting functions uh, that was proposed by Prelek, and it has certain uh, sort of nice uh, analytically tractable properties, uh, which helps us establish these results. Uh, okay. So let's consider the the utility of a player, uh, which which has this nonlinear perception of probabilities. So as before, we can write that Li is the is the loss experienced by the player if it's successfully attacked. Now, uh, so this is now multiplied with the perceived probability, which is the weighting function evaluated at the true probability of attack, and minus the cost of investment in security. Okay? So now if we take the, uh, the derivative of this weighting function with respect to the investment of the player, uh, it now depends on the, the investment of the player, that of its neighbors, as well as the other parameters. So, and so this, this leads to the, the problem being more complex and uh, the, the optimal strategy no longer has the simple structure of uh, completely protecting itself or not protecting at all. So it's now going to depend on what other players are doing. Okay. Uh, 
what we have been able to show is that under uh, certain technical assumptions, uh, there exists a pure Nash equilibrium in this class of games. And uh, in fact, this existence result holds even when the players have uh, different degrees of, uh, you know, different weighting functions. That is, you know, each player can have a different degree to which they deviate from true perception of probabilities. And, uh, you know, there's still, there will still exist a pure Nash equilibrium if these conditions are satisfied. And these are satisfied when the degree of a node is not too small. Okay. Right. Uh, so, having said that, so how does the equilibrium compare with the case without any uh, uh, sort of probability weighting? That is, when the players are completely risk neutral. And uh, we can show that in, in any graph, and even with potentially different uh, uh, players with different degrees of uh, uh, nonlinear probability perceptions, the attack probability uh, experienced at a node is always less than one. Okay. Uh, while note that uh, under certain parametric regimes, in the in the in the case with risk-neutral players, there did exist equilibria which was completely unprotected, right? Where no, <coughs> where every node decided not to invest anything at all. And uh, this is this is true because. Uh, the property that uh, human beings uh, underweight large probabilities, okay? So let's say we start with a situation where uh, no player has invested uh, anything and I am experiencing a attack probability which is one, okay? So if I, if, I am, if I underweight the large probabilities and I decide to invest a small amount, then my true attack probability decreases by a small amount, but I perceive that decrease to be much larger. So therefore, while if I were risk neutral, I would not make that investment because the true decrease in attack probability is small. Uh, me being behavioral incentivizes me to make that investment. Uh, therefore, uh, with these behavioral users, there uh, in any graph, the, there, there, there doesn't exist any Nash equilibrium where uh, the attack probability of the nodes is equal to one. Okay? So, so does it mean that uh, behavioral perception of probabilities always leads to more secure equilibrium? Uh, the, the answer to that is no, okay? So, uh, so, let, so let's consider a graph which is uh, deregular, that is every node has exactly uh, D neighbors, okay? Now, let's say that I consider two sets of players. In one set, uh, every node, you know, every, 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 every node has a, behavioral perception of probability given by the prelec weighting function of parameter beta one. And in the second set of, uh, second set of players have a weighting function of parameter beta two, right? So that is the, in the second set of games, uh, the players are more closer to being, uh, being the risk neutral case. That is the, they, does, they don't have a large uh, deviation from the true probability in their perceptions, okay? Now, uh, what we have been able to show is that there exists a threshold says so that if the, if the degrees of the nodes is larger than this threshold, then the equilibrium is more secure in the case where the players have a large deviation from true probability, right? So in particular, uh, in degree regular graphs, there exists uh, an interior equilibrium where every node, uh, uh, where, where the investments are such that every node experiences a true attack probability uh, equal to X2, where X2 is the uh, is 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 what is shown in the in the first graph, which is the solution to the, uh, which is the intersection point of the of the line dc over l and the derivative of the weighting function, uh, the one that is closer to one. Okay, and uh, if the if the degree is higher than this threshold, then the value of x two is closer to one. Okay, 
So therefore, uh, similar to the, to the previous case, the players which have a more uh, substantial degree of underweighting of high probabilities, uh, they tend to invest <coughs> more uh, compared to the players whose weighting functions are closer to linear. Because for the players which have a higher degree of underweighting, their perceived reduction in uh, attack probability is higher compared to the players which are closer to linear. Uh, on the other hand, if the degrees of the nodes is less than this threshold, uh, the, the players which, uh, whose perception of probabilities are closer to the true values uh, invest, uh, invest higher, and uh, the attack probability in the corresponding equilibrium is smaller. Okay? Right. So to, to summarize, the effect of weighting function is, is most beneficial when the attack probability is high, uh, while the, when the attack probability is at the moderate level, players which are closer to risk neutral uh, tend to invest more, and that leads to a more secure equilibrium. Okay? Uh, is there any questions here? Uh, okay. So, so uh, let's now discuss the, the impact of the structure of the network on the uh, equilibrium attack probabilities. So in fact, let's say that uh, you know, we know that there exists a Nash equilibrium. So let pi star be the attack probability at node i at the Nash equilibrium. And uh, first, we obtain a bound on pi star, uh, which is a function of the degree of the node. Okay? And you know, there's an increasing uh, concave function that is a node with a higher degree uh, experiences a higher attack probability at equilibrium, but you know, it, the, the, the effect tends to have a diminishing property. And uh, the, to, to define an overall uh, measure of security of the entire network, uh, we consider the quantity uh, phi star, which is defined as the, the bound on the expected fraction of nodes that are attacked at the equilibrium. Okay. So for the overall network, uh, we will consider a set of players. Uh, the players will you know, will look at the strategy profile of the Nash equilibrium, and uh, that will induce an attack probability for every node. And we define the expected fraction of nodes that are attacked at that equilibrium. And we consider that as a measure of the security of the overall network. Uh, so, so what we we have this following main result, which says that uh, among all graphs with a given number of nodes and edges, uh, the bound on the expected fraction of nodes that are attacked at the equilibrium is highest uh, when the graphs is degree regular. That is when every node has the same exact number of uh, neighbors. Okay. And uh, second, among all connected graphs on n nodes, uh, the quantity phi star is smallest in a star graph. Uh, so, so as we saw before, the, the, if the nodes have a higher degree, that leads to a uh, higher that leads to a higher attack probability at the equilibrium, and uh, therefore, in, if we look at the the graph which has the smallest phi star, that ends up being the star graph, which is uh, uh, which has the which has the fewest number of edges, uh, assuming that the network remains connected. And among all trees, the star graph ends up being minimum. And second, among all graphs with n nodes and e edges. Uh, phi star is smallest in a class of graphs known as the quasi-complete graph. So this graph essentially has the property that uh, we form a, 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 a clique or a subset of nodes which are fully connected, and then uh, and then the remaining nodes are disconnected from the overall network. Right. So essentially, what it does is that uh, uh, it distributes the edges among as few nodes as possible and leaves the other nodes disconnected from the graph. Question. So you mentioned it was a star graph, but there can be a topological ordering, right? Where just one to two, two to three, 
connection like that. That also has equal number of edges, uh, right? So you mentioned the reason behind star graph being uh, things because uh, it has the least number of edges. But if you have this uh, such a key, it's not uh, it's not actually regular because yeah. some nodes have only one while mm -hmm. others have two. But is that is is it the case that the star graph is uh, least susceptible than that or let? Yeah. Okay. So uh, so a star is uh, you know if we consider a star on n nodes, it has n minus one edges. Yeah. So there are a lot of graphs with n nodes and n minus one edges. So what we have what we have shown that among all trees, that is the n nodes with n minus one edges, the star is the smallest. In fact, from any tree, there is a procedure uh, from which we can we can construct. Uh, uh, so if any tree which is not a star, we can uh, reassign the edges in a way that will lead to a smaller phi star. And uh, only from the star graph, there is no such reallocation possible. Yeah. So from a physical topology, this makes sense. But do most people think this through when they're on, a, on the internet? I mean, is it, is it relevant to what they make in, to their decisions on security investment? Uh, so, it, so star is a uh, very specific class of graphs, and uh, uh, from what I know, in the, the the connection of the internet topology is more like a core periphery graph. So, which is a there's a small number of nodes which are very highly interconnected, and there are a large number of peripheries which are connected to the core nodes. So, star is a very special class of core periphery nodes where there's a single core node. And uh, in fact, more generally, uh, you know, if we if we impose other restrictions on uh, on the structure of the network, we can show that the the, the graphs which have achieved a smaller phi star are, belong to a more general class of graphs known as threshold graphs. And uh, core periphery graphs are examples of threshold graphs. So here I have only imposed uh, very minimal assumptions that you know, all connected graph on n nodes or all graphs on n nodes are edges, but you can impose more conditions that minimum connectivity and others. And, uh, and what ends up happening is that uh, uh, for, for other classes of graphs, the phi star will be smallest for uh, for threshold graphs due to their specific uh, properties. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so to 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 summarize the discussion in the section, uh, we showed that uh, if we if we incorporate the behavioral perception of probabilities, uh, uh, it gives rise to, rise to a more richer class of Nash equilibrium compared to the case with only uh, risk neutral players. And uh, the, the benefits of these weighting functions in terms of uh, incentivizing agents to invest more or leading to smaller attack probability is highest when the attack probability is, is quite high or the network is sufficiently dense. And uh, optimal networks tend to be graphs which, uh, which assign edges to few nodes as possible and uh, leave a lot of other nodes uh, potentially <coughs> disconnected. Um, <coughs> So let's go to the, the, the second part uh, of this talk. And uh, uh, so, just, so this, this, pro this uh, setting is, is motivated by uh, large-scale network systems, for example, the power grid, which have a large number of, uh, of stakeholders. For example, the generators have their own uh, industrial control systems, SCADA networks. Uh, the distribution companies have uh, advanced meters that they have deployed, and there are sensors and actuators uh, you know, in, the, in the transmission system. And uh, these entities are being managed by different uh, stakeholders, uh, but they still communicate among each other, exchange information, and so on. Okay? Uh, 
so the, these interdependencies between the assets that belong to uh, different uh, stakeholders are often uh, exploited by attackers to, to propagate their attack. And so our goal here is to, to propose a systematic framework uh, to compute you know, optimal and, and decentralized uh, uh, sort of defense resource allocation in these large graphs. Okay. So, so, uh, okay. so we define this notion of uh, interdependency graph to capture the interdependencies of between different assets. So every node in this graph uh, can can correspond to any uh, cyber or physical asset, and uh, the presence of an edge uh, between two nodes means that that a node is dependent on the 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 node that uh, of or its parent. Right. Uh, so there are potentially multiple defenders in this uh, uh, that are responsible for the security of uh, these assets. So in this example, the defender one cares about protecting the blue assets. Defender two cares about protecting the green assets, and so on. And uh, and there can be certain nodes which are attackers, and we assume that there's a single attacker which can represent, you know, which is which can be coming from outside of the network, and the attacker tries to come in. It first uh, it doesn't have access to all the nodes directly, so it compromises the the nodes that it has access to. For example, you know, firewalls or other or other uh, perimeter defense components. And then once it has uh, successfully compromised a node, it can look at the other nodes that uh, that depend on this node to launch their attacks, right? So if uh, there is an edge between nodes UI and UJ, and UI is compromised, then the attacker can launch an attack on UJ because uh, through through this link, U, uh, UI, UJ. Okay. And uh, we assume that uh, there is a probability of the attack uh, launched from UI on UJ uh, to be successful, and uh, this probability is denoted by PIJ0, right? So this attack succeeds with prob probability PIJ0. And, uh, if a, if a node is compromised, uh, the you know the the if it nodes if that node is valuable, then the defender uh, ex experiences a loss of magnitude li. Okay. Uh, are there any questions here? Okay. Uh, so we will uh, sort of consider a general class of uh, defense strategies. Uh, so the 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 goal of the defender is to allocate. Uh, uh, defense resources to reduce the attack probabilities on these edges. Okay, uh, so we denote by xijk uh, the defense allo resource allocated on edge uiuj by defender k, and multiple defenders can potentially assign resources on the same edge. If there is an edge which is valuable to to multiple defenders, they can they can collaborate and uh, defend it directly, and the and uh, the probability of the attack being successful on an edge under this defense allocation is that is the probability of attack without any defense multiplied by uh, the function exponential function uh, that exp of minus of the sum of uh, the defense allocation by all the defenders on that edge okay so what this means is that uh, so for any uh, finite defense resource allocation on a given edge the attack probability never completely becomes zero so it starts decreasing as for as the total defense allocation increases, but it, it still it remains non-zero uh, for even for any finite uh, investment. And uh, and we can also impose other restrictions. You know, for example, that that the total uh, defense resource available to a defender is subject to a budget constraint. Uh, uh, 
so more generally, we can also you know define that uh, you know restrict which edges can be defined defended by which defender, and we can also look at the case where uh, uh, the defense resource that is being allocated to multiple edges can be correlated. Uh, but let's focus on the on the special case where the uh, the defense resource allocated on every edge is independent. Okay. Now, uh, how do we define the probability of attack on an asset? Okay. So let's say that we consider the node UM as an asset. There are multiple paths from the attacker to this node, and for a given path, the probability of attack on this node is the product of probabilities uh, of attacks being successful of, of each of the edges that are in that path. Okay. Uh, and uh, we define the cost function for a defender as follows. So note that each defender cares about protecting multiple assets. So for every asset that, that it controls or it cares about, uh, we look at the magnitude of loss that the defender experiences if that asset is attacked. Uh, and we, we multiply it with the, uh, with the probability of attack on that node via the path which has the highest probability of attack. That is, we are implicitly assuming that there is a strategic attacker and for every node it targets, it picks the path which has the highest probability of attack, and the defender is trying to minimize the expected cost uh, subject to this path with the highest probability of attack. Maybe I missed it, but is the attacker knows where all defenders are sitting? Uh, sorry, does the attacker know? Does the attacker know where all the defenders are sitting on the network? Uh, because so you mentioned he's a strategic attacker. Uh, yeah. So what what we you know so in, in what we are trying to capture here is the following. Okay. So <clears throat> so typically there is not a single attacker. There are different attackers. You know, there are a large number of attackers who are trying to attack different components of value, and uh, the defender has a certain number of nodes that it cares about. So but it it doesn't know which one is being attacked by which attacker, but it still has to assign the defense resources to protect each of these uh, assets. So for every asset, uh, it has to define the risk of that asset. And uh, uh, what I, we have assumed is that it defines that risk in a worst case manner, that it, it thinks that, OK, so let's say that this asset is being attacked by a strategic attacker. And what will a strategic attacker do? Let's say that it has all the information to assume the worst case. And then if it has all the information, it's going to pick the path which has the highest probability of successful attack. So, so that that is what motivated us to pick this specific form of uh, expected cost for the defender. Okay, thanks. So, when you say a strategic attacker, does that imply that he's already mapped the battle space in this sense and figured out the weak points of the different networks and 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 devices? Uh, yes. So, usually, it is hard for a defender to know you know how much information the attacker has. But if the defender is trying to defend against worst-case attack, you know it's a good assumption to make that the the attacker has already mapped out the network. So, so in order to defend against these worst-case worst-case attacks, we have uh, defined the cost function of a defender in this manner. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the questions we will consider here is that again, uh, as before, does there exist a pure Nash equilibrium in the game between multiple defenders? Uh, how does a defender compute uh, the optimal defense strategy, uh, even assuming it knows the defense strategies of others? And uh, you know, how does the, the total expected cost, the total expected cost of all the defenders uh, at the Nash equilibrium compared to the case when there is a central authority which is defending all the assets in the network on behalf of every defender? Okay. Uh, 
So what we do is that uh, to, to help with the analysis, we define the notion of length of an edge, which is the negative of the log of the probability of attack on that edge. And uh, under a given defense allocation, what it ends up being is that the, the length of an edge uh, is equal to the sum of the length without any attack probability and the sum of defense allocation of all the players. Uh, so this helps us uh, uh, sort of uncover some important properties of the cost functions. In particular, the, the cost function defined before uh, is now convex in the strategies of the corresponding defender. If I hold the defense allocations of other defenders fixed. And uh, as a result, uh, this game among multiple defenders uh, has a pure Nash equilibrium because this class of games uh, belong to a well-known class of games known as concave games, which have already been shown to have uh, pure Nash equilibrium. Uh, so now, you know, an equilibrium exists, but uh, from the perspective of the defender, it's important to, to find the optimal defense allocation given the set of allocation of other defenders. And we have shown that uh, finding this optimal defense allocation, also known as the best response of a defender, uh, can be computed by uh, solving a convex optimization problem. And uh, similarly, uh, a central authority, which is assigning defense resources to all the edges on behalf of every defender, can find the optimal defense allocation uh, by solving a con convex optimization problem. So, so you know, but, but this what it means is that you know, convex problems in continuous optimization tend to be ones which are uh, sort of more efficient to solve, uh, and there are well-known solvers available that you can use to solve it, and uh, if, even for large networks, it's, uh, it's easier to find the globally optimal solution. So, so this result is really helpful from a, from a computational perspective. Okay. Uh, so so the, the, in the previous case, we showed that uh, for a given uh, defense allocation by other defenders, a single defender can find its uh, defense allocation uh, by solving the convex problem, uh, but that still doesn't give us the Nash equilibrium. So in order to find the Nash equilibrium, what we do is that uh, we start with any uh, random uh, defense allocation by the defenders, then we pick a defender, find its optimal defense strategy, go to the next defender, find its optimal defense strategy, given the new uh, uh, defense allocation of the previous player, and uh, this process converges in the, in the class of games we looked at. Uh, we don't have a result of convergence to the Nash equilibrium uh, in the most general case, uh, but what we have shown is that the, the case where each player only controls or only cares about one node, uh, there is a, there's a direct way to, to find the Nash equilibrium. Uh, okay. so, in a, so before uh, concluding it, I will show a very simple example. Uh, so we consider uh, a SCADA network. So this 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 is motivated by uh, the design documents from NIST, which shows how the, the topology of industrial control systems. And uh, so the, in the example here, there are two uh, control subsystems, and there are certain interdependencies between them. So in particular, the, the remote terminal units, or RTUs, are from the same vendor in both different systems. So if an attacker compromises one RTU or compromises the vendor, then it understands the system better and can use that to launch attack on other RTUs directly. Uh, so in the, in, the, in the numerical study, uh, our focus is to compare uh, three quantities. The first is the social optimum, which is the total expected cost under a centralized optimal defense allocation. The second is a case where uh, 
we restrict each player to only defend uh, their portion of the network. Okay, so a defender can only defend the edges that belong to its nodes. And uh, in the third case, which is the joint defense, any defender can defend anywhere in the network. Okay, I can go in, and if I if I think that you are not doing a good job with your defense or you don't have enough budget, I can go in and defend portions of the network, and that might help me because our uh, components are interdependent on each other. Okay. Uh, so the plot here uh, shows the uh, how these three quantities compare with each other. So the x-axis shows the budget of player one. Uh, we assume that the total budget is fixed at 20 for the left graph. And th if the budget of player one is, say, 5, the budget of player two is 50. Okay? Uh, so because the total budget is 20, the, the social optimum, which where the central authority assigns defense for everybody, is the same because you know the central authority gets the defense budget from each player and then assigns accordingly. And what we show is that as the budget of player one and player two grows very different from each other, uh, the joint, the case with the joint defense, that is when a player can defend anywhere in the network, leads to a smaller uh, social cost compared to the case where the players only defend portions of their network. Uh, so, you know, to, so the take-home point is that when the budgets are asymmetric, uh, it is it it might make sense for a player to to assign uh, it some of its defense resources to the different player because of their interdependencies. Okay. Uh, to 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 summarize, uh, we presented a general framework to model security investments by multiple defenders. Uh, we showed that the the optimal and best response allocation. Uh, can be computed efficiently under certain conditions for certain classes of defense strategies. And currently we are uh, uh, sort of conducting case studies on large, you know, large, much larger size of network, for example, the IEEE 300 bus power grid network and uh, some other specific uh, uh, cybersecurity situations that arise in distributed energy resources. Uh, we also are interested in looking at how the degree of interdependencies affect the uh, security of the system, so we're looking at certain classes of random graphs on that, and also some other uh, dynamic or moving target uh, defense techniques. Uh, to, to conclude, uh, we looked at uh, two applications of game theory in network security. Uh, so first, where we looked at the, the influence of behavioral perception of probabilities on security investment decisions. In the second case, we looked at a, a more general framework where uh, the optimal defense strategies can be computed by solving a convex optimization problem. Uh, so in the, the, the area of uh, security and game theory is, is, is quite large. There have been multiple books uh, on this subject. So the, the two books listed here are very uh, sort of helpful, give a lot of uh, background and uh, uh, into this area. There are also area-specific conferences, uh, for example, Decision and Game Theory for Security, uh, Workshop on Economics of Information Security and, and Security and Human Behavior. Uh, so if you are interested, uh, you can find more information in these venues. Thank you. Have you actually applied some of the game theory to some of the dollars involved in the risk, consequences, and cost of security investments? Uh, so uh, applied in the context of um, of a more sort of managerial decision making. Is um, well, let's let's pick for example on electric utilities. Um, when you look at some of the options for investing in security, 
and the consequence of something going wrong, have you actually run numbers regarding the dollar amounts on it at all? Uh, no. So most of our work is uh, is more analytical. Uh, so we're trying to prove results and so on. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in a uh, small network, it uh, might be okay. But in a uh, real network, uh, where there are um, uh, large number of nodes, and like each of the nodes are also different, and they get updates like every other day. So uh, how often do you calculate the uh, equilibrium, the Nash equilibrium? So uh, uh, like, is it done every time? Or like, is there a method to like uh, calculate an optimum value and then just uh, modify that value over time? Huh? Because you don't want to calculate it like all the time. The Nash equilibrium. Uh, yeah. So uh, the the how many I. Repeat the question. Yeah. yeah. Because they can't hear you. Can you just repeat the question? Oh, okay. Uh, the way you understand. <laughs> all right. Sure. Uh, <laughs> So to, to my understanding, I think the, 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 the question is that uh, uh, since the calculating the Nash equilibrium is an iterative process, uh, it can be inefficient if we need to uh, calculate the Nash equilibrium every time there are some small changes in the network. Uh, so even though it's an iterative process, uh, how many iteration it takes uh, depends on the degree of interconnection. So if the networks are pretty much by themselves and there are very few interconnections, uh, then it doesn't take many iterations to converge. So in those cases, uh, it, it doesn't take uh, uh, too much time to compute these uh, resources. To, to give you give a specific example, uh, we looked at the IEEE 300 bus network and we considered every bus to be a node. And this graph has 300 nodes and around 800, uh, 800 edges. Uh, but the, the degree of interconnection is small. So it, you know it, the, the the iterative process converges to a Nash equilibrium about in about you know between 20 to 50 uh, iterations. To uh, and every iteration, even on a small desktop computer, uh, uh, takes uh, like less than a minute to, to find uh, using a standard uh, convex optimization solver uh, CVX. So, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Any other question? Then maybe you can just thanks this. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah.